Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. It's New York Sports Talk Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We were going to do Giants originally, but when the Mets decided to rip their whole team apart, we decided to push the Giants back a week. We're going to react to the MLB trade deadline, especially in New York here, because the Mets picked a lane. They committed fully to it. Yankees did not pick a lane, and I think they're going to suffer for it. We're going to be joined in just a minute by Martino Puccio to break down the deadline for the New York teams, talk about what the Mets did, why it makes sense, why the Yankees do not make sense for their decisions here. That's going to be coming up in just a minute. Also, make sure you're locked in the NHL for these two-minute drill. to talk about why the New York Jets now got more attention on them here after the whole Sean Payton controversy. Break that all down for at the end of the podcast. If you're here in the Justin Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering of Fairy Podcast platforms for help us there. Feel free your feedback and starting as well to help make the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. The video version of the conversation with Martino is up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. I'll give you the headlines from the deadline right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time here. LA trade deadlines come past a lot of moves over the past few days. White Sox basically sold half their team. A lot of pitchers moved. Some didn't. And Juan Rodriguez, some reason, turned down a trade. The Dodgers, okay, whatever here. But the Mets really ruled the deadline here by opting to completely blow up their situation here. The Mets started their sale last week, and they middle of the rain delay against the Nationals. They traded David Roberts into the Miami Marlins, two-level low-level prospects with upside. That was expected. Mets chose to sell given the where they were at the standings. Uh, you know, we can't make this comeback. That honestly set some nerves off in the clubhouse. Max Scherzer, notably after his start on Friday night, goes to the media and says, hey, like, I want to talk to the front office, figure out what we're doing here, what the direction of this is. Less than 24 hours later, he gets traded to the Texas Rangers. Steve Cohen sends $36 million to the Rangers and essentially buys Luis, Angel, Luis Angel Acuna, the young brother of Ronald Acuna, and the process continues here. The Mets trade Mark Canna for a prospect. They trade Tommy Pham for a prospect. They trade Dominic Leone somehow for a prospect. They deal Justin Verlander basically completing the 2024 like reload transition, whatever you want to call it here, with $54 million going to Houston in exchange for their two top prospects, outfielders uh, Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford here. So a very bold strategy by Steve Cohen, who basically told you a month ago, he said, hey, I consider the money spent. I'll pay money down to get a chance to improve my farms. And they did that. The Mets over the past couple weeks have brought in, on my account, four prospects inside their top 10. They brought a bunch of talented players into the organization here. They've gotten well the draft. They have done well to reload the farm system quickly here. And this is a process that can take years. Just ask the Orioles fans who had to sit through five years of slop to get to the product they are now. They have a very exciting young team with more prospects on the full verge. 
Are the Mets have, have as much talent as the Orioles? No, they don't. But they are very talented you know, in certain areas. They have Francisco Alvarez and Brett Payton, the majors already. Bientos is going to get more playing time here. They have a lot of prospects on the verge here. So this is, feels to me sort of like the 2016 Yankees sell-off, where the Yankees were a fringe contender. They say, you know what? We're taking advantage of our position in the market. We have stuff people want. We'll sell it for big stuff. They trade off Roldis Chapman, Carlos Beltran, uh, Zach Britton. They get back a bunch of big prospects. A year later, they're in the ALCS. Don't know what with the Mets, but they can, you know, fill their holes in the offseason this year. I mean, they can get a couple of players here on shorter-term deals to add to the rotation, add a couple of pen arms, add a left fielder. Try and get the wild card next year. If you don't happen, that's fine. You can flip those pieces at the deadline. You have your process getting close to you ready. In 2025, you can get reset your luxury textbooks and still make a run at Juan Soto in free agency because that's the big fish. I think that's what they're going to end up trying to get in two years, give them whatever it takes. You'd be 26 then if you have a long-term piece alongside Francisco Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, potentially Pete Alonso, so when they get an extension done. A lot of fun there. Yankee side, still no idea what they're doing. This team has been spiraling downward for two months. Not only do they not really commit to a direction, they do the most haphazard buying I've seen. They grab a reliever at the last minute for a prospect. They grab Kenya Mills. It's not going to make a huge difference to their bottom line here. They buy a pitching prospect from Texas. The Yankees here are sort of spiraling to the middle of nowhere because they have a team that's full of old guys who are not getting any better, who are overpaid. DJ LeMayhew is this shot. Anthony Rizzo looks like he's shot. John Carl Stanton is, looks like he's washed. The pitching rotation has been a disappointment outside of Garrett Cole. I mean, Carlos Rodon has been a disaster. A lot of injuries on that side of the ball. And the Yankees decide, you know, like, we're going to find, we fine. Everything's going to come around. We can play good baseball. They're not playing good baseball. They've been playing terribly for the past, like, two months. And think about this. This team is going to lose tonight, by all likelihood, to the Tampa Bay Rays. They'll have 15-5 and 52. They got five, another game against Tampa, then four more against Houston this week. How many of those do you think they're winning? One? Two, don't forget, Houston has Verlander again. He's going to make his debut against the Yankees this weekend. So keep that in mind here. The Yankees did not do well at this deadline here. They did not pick a lane. They still think they're better than they are. And this just sort of incompetence of this organization in terms of not realizing they have problems and refusing to make any changes, it's going to sort of spiral slowly into the abyss. Over the next few years. I mean, you have two great players in Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole. But beyond that, not looking great. Anthony Volpe's a chance. Who knows if some of the other prospects and their performances have not been great producing big league talent that is spectacular of late. We'll see what happens there. But can't feel confident what the Yankees are doing. We're going to deeper into the deadline here with Martino Puccio right after this. But first, might as well meet the Mets because I, so we have to meet them again. We have no clue who half these guys are. So we'll go ahead and do that right after this. Meet the Mets, meet the Mets, step right up and greet the Mets, bring your kiddies, bring your wife, guaranteed to have the time of your life, because the Mets are really sucking the ball, knocking those home runs over the wall, east side, west side, everybody's coming down to meet the M-E-T-S Mets of New York. 
right, we are back here on the podcast. A wild trade deadline here in the New York scene here. The Mets basically ripped up everything that's not bolted down for 2024 and start reloading the forces. And the Yankees did something, but didn't make much sense. So they sort of react to the whole New York baseball deadline here. Martino Puccio is here. Martino, how are you? Uh, not too bad, you know, just uh, refreshing every team's uh, top 30 prospect list on MLB.com and uh, just watching this garbage game in Kansas City at the moment. And uh, that's pretty much it. How are you? Doing pretty good. Surprised I had not hit my rate limit yet on Twitter from all the scrolling over the uh, past few days. Or should I say X? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's I'm not even going to get into that. But uh, yeah, I don't blame you for constantly scrolling, though. I'll say that. Yeah, certainly it's wild here. I mean, obviously, New York, like, I was planning to do a giant show this week. I pushed that back. and said, you know, there's too much going on with the baseball. We got to discuss, like, what happened on the Mets side where they went in one direction and the Yankees, once again, mm-hmm. didn't pick a direction. Yeah, I mean, the the Yankees are what they always are. And, and it's just basically become a, a franchise who likes to, I guess, cater to the loud and obnoxious fans that demand winning every season. And they want their team to be competitive to win the World Series, as unrealistic as that is in the year 2023. But you can't tell those people that because those are the types of fans that they've been their entire life because they've been spoiled from the 1990s. But that's besides the point, right? But this is what you get when you don't sell certain players at the right time, which plague them in the mid-2010s. And then it's come back to bite them in the butt now, extending players players that are just really not good enough in the long term, whatever, extend, re-sign in the offseason. It's the same stuff um, with the Rizzos and then the trades of the Josh Donaldsons of the world. It's clearly, but it's plainly obvious to me that Brian Cashman has been over the hill as the main operator of this baseball club for many years now, and he is not going to get fired because he still manages to get this team competitive and in the playoffs, despite the fact that they're still not clear-cut World Series favorites, and they have a lot of issues, and I still think the long-term outlook for the New York Yankees, in my opinion, is bad. Um, And I say that in the sense of they have too much money committed to players like DJ LeMahieu and Anthony Rizzo for a lot of years. At least Donaldson they can get rid of, despite the fact that that's poor. But by the time that stuff clears up, and by the time, you know, Say these prospects do hit the Anthony, but I think Volpe will be a good player. I think he's shown signs already. Um, We'll see about the other guys. There's been a lot more misses than hits with Cashman. The thing with Cashman is, is whatever one hits, it's a superstar. So like a Cano judge type. But seriously, judge the way he will age in a couple of years, the way Garrett Cole, knock on wood for now for him, brilliant pitcher. He's probably not going to age as greatly as you would anticipate. But either way, by the time they're really ready to reinforce and have this team ready to go for a world series in my opinion i think the al is a little bit wide open but still they're not they're just not ready this isn't a good enough team and the moves that they've made they're not willing to eat money like the cohen's of the world to gain back prospects they just made lateral moves that are just adding to the bullpen because they're also potentially losing uh relief pitchers this offseason which is more than likely given their salary situation so I mean, there's nothing left to say with the Yankees right there. It's just all about are they actually serious about the standards that they have as a major league organization, or do they just want to keep on doing the same old thing? So, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll circle back to them here. We've got to talk about the team that actually picked a direction, which was the Mets, because obviously 
it started last week with David Robert thing, sin thing. Then we have mm-hmm. Max Scherzer said, I'm going to go talk to the front office. He gets traded. Yeah. Then they have the sell off over the last few days where they grab a lot of money. They pay, they pay out a lot of money. They get a lot of prospects back here. I, was, yeah. I know something you've been advocating for is that this is not the right group <laughs> time to blow it up here. And you, I think we figured her out. The <laughs> choice of direction they made. Um, Listen, sometimes, it, it, and it's so funny to see just like Mets fans and a lot of people overreact. I love going for it, okay? If you were in that Wilpon era as a, as a Mets fan, if you're a diehard Mets fan, like irrational, and I mean irrational in the sense of when the Mets signed like Tyke Redman in 2006 in the offseason, I thought that was going to be the move to put us over the hump. Obviously, they made tons of other moves. But it was, you know, being invested in so many other years and just really the naivety of just – thinking that they could compete when they really had awful teams where Chris Capiano is one of your better starting pitchers in those years. And at that time, when you, when you look at it in hindsight, and this is just for the overall picture of what the season is and how I look at it is those teams in reality has zero chance of competing zero, very poor farm system until Sandy got there and gave it some direction. Right. I think we could all agree with that because there's a lot of busts like the Fernando Martinez is of the world. And, you know, even going to lastings millage, um, that kind of stuff, you know, that's all you were going to get. You knew there wasn't going to be money to be reinvested, especially after the housing crisis happened. Right. I, I, like, I think everybody came to terms with that where you knew we would we would read it all the time. You're a few years older than me. So you really knew what the situation was. Are the Wilpons going to be able to reinvest? Is there going to be money for the future? They're letting guys like Jose Reyes walk like it was you had to pull like teeth out of Jeff Wilpon's mouth to get David Wright to stay who was clearly the best, the franchise's best prospect and homegrown player since Daryl Strawberry or Doc Gooden, depending on who you pick, right? And so the fact that everything was so hopeless for years, where we were kind of this mid-market team or even a smaller market team, the way they were ran in, in the sense of the way they wouldn't install cameras that would have held player development. They wouldn't have invested in the youth. There was issues in the international market. The international market was kind of probably their best avenue at the time because the drafting was horrid. Um, you know, Omar used to find guys every now and then, but still. Because I heard him on uh, Joel Sherman's and John Heyman's podcast talking about, he's like, yeah, everybody went at me, but I found an R.A. Dickey. It was like, yeah, you, you pulled R.A. Dickey out of, out of a fucking magic hat. <laughs> you can bleep that out. But, I mean, that was the case. It was so dire, and there was never really any opportunity to compete. And you even remember the Cespedes resigning. So with that, I always use that as as, you know, my examples of the past and how bad it could actually be rooting for a baseball franchise. And especially in the biggest market in the country in New York with Steve Cohen, was this necessarily the team and and Billy Epler with this, was this necessarily the team that was ready to compete uh, this season built for the regular season? We talked about this. They had, and you and I and will always said this, they had pretty much a flawless season last year in terms of injuries. Right. There wasn't really anyone outside of the Scherzer injury later on in the season and then Jake being Jake. But overall, your pitching staff really didn't have too many injury issues. They were there for the majority of the season. Your everyday players were there as well. And you won 101 games and it still wasn't good enough. And you saw what happened with the team that, you know, they blew their load at the end of the season. Everybody knew it. I think everybody kind of knew it before the Atlanta series. I think when we started losing to the Chicago Cubs of the world, I don't know how you felt at the time, but I I, I kind of felt it when we lost to the Cubs. I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is I, the writings on the wall. Um, 
But the fact that they tried retooling and saying, hey, let's get Verlander in here. These aren't long-term commitments. They didn't have a lot of long-term commitments. I don't know how many times all of us go through spot rack and just constantly say, well, you know, Ken only has one year left. So it's really not that bad. Escobar has one year left. It's really not that bad. Max is here for another year. He's probably going to opt in. We could maybe manage it, do something like we just did this deadline. The fact is this. They knew this wasn't a regular season team. They're floating below 500. The Marlins are extra good this year. The Phillies are still competitive. They just won the pennant. The Braves are, in my opinion, a dynasty in the making if they're able to get their second. They're just truly incredible. The time right now for the New York Mets to win and go for it at this deadline? No, you can't do that. So you have to blow it up. Um, and, and you agree with this too because, you know, for the most part, free agency this winter outside of Otani and a couple other good pitching names, right? Is there really anything that could bolster that Mets lineup or even the prospects uh, waiting in the wings? It was a poor farm system before, you know, just even this week. I mean, they got a little bit better and before they had the rookies from the past draft. But you know what I'm saying? Like there wasn't just enough to kind of solidify and say, yes, we could have a chance of winning the World Series in 2024. Just wasn't the case. They didn't have the regular season that they needed from, you know, Verlander missing the first month was huge. Max sucking the way he did was huge. Marte and that handling of the World Baseball Classic and his core muscle injury from last season was poorly, um, I guess you could say, planned. Um, and then losing Edwin Diaz. We all know that. That's the best relief pitcher in baseball. Uh, there's no debate about it. So when you combine all of those things and you're hovering around the record that they're hovering around, you have to make a decision. A lot of people are going to get upset and get mad at Cohen and do this and do that. But my question is to circle back to my original point, what would the Wilpons have done, Mike? What would the Wilpons have done? They actually would have just probably sent five to 10 million to actually, they wouldn't even have signed Verlander and uh, Max in the first place. So they couldn't even trade and need up money for these guys if they wanted to. Because I see a lot of, it's mostly Frank Fleming saying that he misses the Wilpons. But you know this, they weren't going to do that. They couldn't even offer Jose Reyes anything. So why would they go and trade players that they could eat the money and get a good prospect in return? Nah, they wouldn't have signed anybody. They would have let the other guys walk like Walker um, and those other pitchers. And, and much like what we saw with, with Brody Van Wagenen is that they didn't keep these guys long term. And... If you had that ownership, you weren't going to get, you know, a better farm system from this. I'm looking at the top 30 list right now because it's very funny to see it updated after these trades. Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford from the Justin Verlander trade are already top seven prospects in the Mets farm system. A guy that we boast about, Alex Ramirez, all the time is already behind Ryan Clifford. Whether it's a good or a bad thing, I think that's up to interpretation of other people and, and, and people who follow it more closely. But the fact is this, and... We can go with Acuna as well. You wouldn't have had those guys signed to try and go for it this season. And you wouldn't even had the possible resources to make these trades that allow you to somewhat rebuild your farm system or retool it, whatever phrase you want to use. And that's the reality of the situation. Even in the bleakest of seasons, this probably could be, I hope it is the bleakest Steve Cohen season. Um, for me, there is least positives that you can take away from that. And I'll ask you this, and you can answer it. I probably know your answer. But in the bleakest of Wilpon seasons, did you even take away sometimes some positives from stuff, or at least the amount of positives that we took away from the past 48 hours or so, or 72 hours? 
Absolutely. I would not. assume no. Absolutely not. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, that's kind of my point. There's no doubt. There's disappointment. It was a pathetic season. There's no denying it. Um, a couple things didn't go their way. I understand that, but overall. <laughs> At least they somewhat salvage things. It's funny because this is the best trade deadline they've had since Cohen got here. The hobby bias for Peter Crow Armstrong, garbage, horrendous. Went for it at the wrong deadline. Then last year they don't really go for it at all. They it's like it's like you're hot at the blackjack table and you only put down a dollar when they go get Tyler Naquin and some of the other names that they added. And then this year, at least there was some idea here. At least they were honest to an extent uh we don't know because you have the billy quotes but yeah i mean you do what you can at this point and and to this uh, another thing that i brought up to will i don't know if you're going to bring up the prospects i brought it up to will and yourself the the thing is this drew gilbert coming in like who cares if the astros farm system is so bad how many times have we seen the mets have a bottom 10 farm system and we were absolutely stoked for a guy that was top 10 in the farm like francisco alvarez you know well, and I understand the whole top 100 prospect list and this and that. Like, these are lower-level guys. So they're not going to be that high up on these prospect lists, even though Gilbert was ahead of Acuna in the in the most recent of lists. So I think all that really tells you the direction that we're heading in. I'm pretty excited about it in the sense of they added talent. We'll see how we develop with the, under this Cohen regime. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, it took a bit to kind of see Sandy's guys flourish and, and see what they did. Some good, some not so good. But uh, yeah, I, uh, like I, I'm a bit more optimistic because if this was a Wilpon era, I you wouldn't you wouldn't have me interested. I'm still somewhat interested because now I get to go on MLB's top 30 prospect list and constantly follow all the time again, like I used to. I I, I sparingly did it because I love Jet Williams. I think he's fun to watch um, and follow. But th- this this is more exciting to get behind. This is what you were kind of hoping for with the Cohen era. I don't know if you if you think this too, but just the whole like Dodgers East, you have a lot of guys in this farm system. There's a lot that you can follow. And even if you make one trade that you're adding to your major league roster, it doesn't completely gut your farm system. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the thing. That's what happened with the Lindora trade. But yeah, I don't know, man. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I just want to point out here that I remember last month when Steve Cohen at the end of June had his press conference Mm -hmm. here. He he basically told you, he didn't realize the time what he he was going to do. He said at at this point in time, quote, I already consider the money spent in unfortunate circumstance, but I can find some ways to improve our farm system. That's the path we take because I'm willing to do it. And he put his money where his mouth was literally because he basically bought like three of his top seven prospects and four in his top 10. Yeah, and exactly. And, and this is another thought I had as well. So like, say he pays off whatever the amount is. And I don't even think the Verlander money is that crazy to give him for two guys that we get in our top 10 farm. So theoretically, if you think about this, the odds of it happening are, Probably low, right? Because of just the way prospects are in baseball and how difficult it is to really assess them and predict how they're going to be as professionals. My thing is this. Say Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford are stars, and you could even go to Acuna as well. Say they're above average major league players or they're major league contributors. Verlander was of no use to the Mets within the next two years at this point. He really kind of wasn't. Um, We saw him on this bad team when he's pitching phenomenal. Um, especially if you go by ERA, um, what did it mean? It meant nothing to them. It means everything for the for the for the Houston Astros to trade for him because now they at least have a much better chance come October because their pitching staff is a lot better again, or really just last year's. Um, and with that, the Mets, 
like you know whatever they they they're sending 54 million roughly for uh Verlander what if Gilbert and Clifford end up being players that are worth over like a cup like over 100 million each eventually you know what i'm saying like what if the mets eventually extend these guys that are that good was it worth trading verlander for 54 million or buying these guys for 54 million that are key contributors to what billy epler is saying a uh, world series contender in 2025 2026 um to well to max scherzer allegedly not not in the open but to me that that's exciting to me that makes more sense and that's well worth the money because to the point of that Cohen quote was the money's already spent. It doesn't matter. Um, I think only fans should get angry about where money goes unless it's horribly mismanaged or that they don't spend it at all. Um, so that's kind of where I am with that. Yeah, because I'll go back to the last time the Mets saw. Would you say, are you, your memory was the last time the Mets were sellers before this year? Sellers before, well, like legitimate sellers, I guess you could say. Yeah. Hmm. I have the answer for you if you don't don't remember. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to give you bad radio time, so let me kind of try and sift through it. Um, was it when we got rid of K Rod? Was it around that time? No, it's more, uh, more, more recent. Seventeen, eighteen. Okay, so you consider that? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. And this is who they met trade away those two years. They trade away Lucas Duda, Addison Reed, Curtis Granderson, Jay Bruce, Neil Walker, and Jerry Familia, who. You would agree all are, were valuable contributors at that point to potential winners. A couple of them were, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, true. That's true. That that offset, I just I try and erase those last Will Pump BVW years out of my brain. But yeah, that was, that was, that was pre Will. That's pre BVW. That was the end of the Sandy era and the. Uh, last... I thought it, it was a twenty. I thought you said twenty eighteen. That would have been Brody. Then no, no, Brody was nineteen. Eighteen was after Sandy stepped down. You had the three headed monster of. Uh, Rico, Manaya, and uh, oh my God, JP Ricciardi. Uh, oh my God. Yes. Oh my goodness. This, See how I try and burn that out of my brain. This is why Immaculate Grid's been going bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of the situation here, you remember mm. that when they made these trades, that this was a Will Pond mm. deal where they said, like, prioritize saving money. So you want to take yes. you, this is who the Mets got back for those six players. Drew Smith is the only one still with the team at this point. Steven Nagosik, yes. Gerson Bautista, Jamie Callahan, Jacob Rame, Ryder Ryan, Eric Hanhold, Will Toffey, and Bobby Wall. So seven reliever, eight relievers, and a middling third baseman in the minor leagues. Like this is a much better return. I believe the third baseman was from the Athletics, right? Yeah, top. The last two were for Familia. Everybody else was it was seven. So, relievers. so one of the guys. I don't know if you remember this. This is so funny that I remember this because this is how much I despise the Will Ponds. One of them was college teammates with Jeff Wilpon's son. Yeah, it was. Will so Toffee. that's why he traded for him. It was Will Toffee, I think. Yeah. So like he traded, but it, like again, nepotism. Yeah. Um. But uh, but again, that's besides the point. Um. And and kind of you know I just want to like pat myself on the back because that's what I was talking about earlier. But yeah, I mean that's what. And the returns were horrible. I, I like Michael Mayer's tweets every now and then though, where he's like, "The Mets won the Lucas Duda trade," which in turn is probably true. Yeah, it's the only trade they won of those deals. They lost every other one. I mean, listen, I'm not surprised. A lot of those guys were kind of towards the back end of their careers, and the guys and the people in charge were just, I mean, it was a disaster at that point. And, yeah, I mean, listen, they, well, what can you say? And then, I mean, we were I, – I, it's kind of weird. I do consider us sellers in the Brody deadline. 
um, but in a different way. Sellers in the sense that they were too cheap to re-sign Zach Wheeler, so they dumped the entire farm to get Marcus Stroman and other guys in. Um, but yeah, I mean, looks a lot better uh, for uh, face value right now. Yeah, and the interesting thing here now is seeing what happens next for the Mets, because obviously... We had, after the Scherzer trade, Brody basically danced around his words, said, you know, like, we're not punting on 2024. And then the next day, Verlander asked to speak at the front office, and he ends up getting traded. We have an exclusive interview with Max Scherzer from The Athletic, where he basically says that Brody told him, hey, we're looking to win in 25 or 26. And, hmm. and Brody basically came out, I mean, uh, not Brody, I mean, uh, Billy Epler came out for this and basically said to, to the effect of, trying to find the exact quote I had pulled up here, basically said that, they're going their World Series odds are going to be lower in 2024, but they are still going to compete. They're going to use free agency to fill their holes, but they are not going to, you know, be, you know, like top of the, be it, say without saying, he said, we're not going to be top of the market, but they're not going to like go scorched earth and rip everything to the ground like some of these teams that have tanked in the past have done. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's not many guys to even do that with, anyways. It's just well, Otani. Well, there's, there's, well, I mean, in terms of like, Bring guys in, yeah. I mean, the free agent market here, like we we saw last year, like they didn't spend on guys who had qualifying officer tasks. They looked for guys who didn't. So, like all those big pitchers have qualifying officer tasks, and that's not going to forfeit draft picks for a team they don't think is going to be as good next year. Yeah, I mean, listen, they're not. They're going to do what is best for the organization in the long term. They did the short term stuff and that mandate of, you know, three to five years of won a championship. I mean, look at all the deals. This is why I was more optimistic about everything in the long run. And I said, hey, this people still don't understand what was here before Cohen arrived. It was a fucking disaster. I again, bleep it out. But it was a it was that bad. Like Brody got at the farm. The major league roster was not that talented whatsoever. So maybe the Lindor trade was a little bit, you know, advantageous at the time, considering the shortstop market that was coming. But at the same time, if they were able to get some guy to launch this new era with Cohen and Jared Porter wanted to make that move. The trade was great. It worked out for the Mets. I'm not mad about that. The dollars were they had to pay him. They overpaid. It is what it is. He's still been a, a massive player. One of the, the, in my opinion, the best ever met shortstop already. It's just not close. Um, and so with that, um, you know, I don't care if they're not going after the Julio Urias of the world or or paying top dollar for some of these other guys. If you get me Yamamoto, if you can consider some other guys that could contribute in terms of the relief pitchers, maybe your corner outfielder or two, just to kind of, you know, add to the major league roster while they still develop and groom these players in the minor leagues or go big for my guy in 2025 and Soto. But, you know, I mean, what were they going to do? They're not that attractive landing spot now. And unfortunately to say the odds were low um, with him anyways, or it could just be complete bullshit, Mike. We don't know. Because they could still come out and offer a massive check. And and still, you know what the funnier thing is, too? Even if Epler is saying all these things, he's still not David Stearns. So if David Stearns is coming, everything that Epler is saying doesn't matter. Because it's not his vision. You know, Stearns could say something completely different and be like, hey, uh the greatest baseball player of all times a free agent. If we're able to have the resources to bring him in here and we could convince him, why wouldn't we do it? You know, I that's that's still on the table for me. I don't think it's going to happen at this point, but that, I think that's still a possibility. But I mean, listen, it's this is the beauty of the Cohen stuff. You want to build a winner for years. You know, the Mets didn't really have that. They had teams that could maybe compete year in, year out. It's not 
what the Braves built. The Braves built an incredible core. I don't want to talk about, you know, I'm not going to accuse them of a money laundering scheme, but they're the sketchiest team in baseball with the types of deals that they give their players. I don't know how they agree to some of them. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, it's, it's not the greatest free agency class. And I don't always truly believe in signing free agent pitchers to build your pitching staff. I never did. I think it's just built to free agency is always if, if wise enough. And if an organization is wise enough, it's always supposed to be the cherries on top of what your roster is. Just like those teams in the mid 2000s that we loved and root for Beltron cherry on top, Billy Wagner, cherry on top, right? Trying to get Pedro cherry on top. That's like those key additions, plug in the holes, see what you could do. Um, that right now it's just not that type of team. Um, and I'm not all in for overpaying for mediocre players at this point. And they didn't do it. They didn't, they didn't overpay for the time on walkers. They didn't overpay for the Bassets. You know, it's like, I get it. They have to do it. Um, some people just don't want to accept it because they had higher expectations in the Cohen era and all that stuff. Yeah. In terms of what's going on here, I'm looking right now at the luxury tax bill for the Mets next year. Obviously they did save some in terms of getting, out of a bunch of the money from the Scherzer and Cohen and, and Verlander deals that will save some money here. But even as constructed, they're going to be over the luxury tax significantly next season. But mm. I think one thing to know here, Joel Sherman, the post had a great uh, analysis here. Of what he thinks the Mets will do in terms of 2024. Something we've discussed here. And I will agree with this is that they're going to use free and see to fill the hole they have. I mean, they're already over here and Steve Cohen is too competitive to say, you know, we're just going to go scorch earth and not try next season here. They already have, $219 million committed to luxury tax before he goes to arbitration or raises. So that's something you have to weigh in for next season. In terms mm-hmm. of what they need here, we're saying, conservatively, Martin, you would say you need two starters, a, 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 it's has three starting pitchers, two relievers, a left fielder, and a DH. So that's correct. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the at the at this point, yeah, I would. I, I mean, the two relievers sounds conservative as well. I think you could bump that number up, but yeah, overall, I mean, positionally, yeah, there's a, there's nothing to really argue. Maybe I know, I know yeah. it's just getting down to the nitty gritty of the 25 man roster, but just also like backup catcher. What do they yeah, do? We're, um, we're also operating the assumption here that Narvaez and Adavio pick up their player ops and the Mets keep Rich Rayleigh, who they didn't trade the deadline because they know he met the price they had on him. I think it's obvious that Rayleigh stays out I think Adavino was just, you know, like, He's already regressed from last season. The only way to go down, but you know, again, we're like, going to go back without Avino. Player option. He's going to opt in. I I know, I know, but we could also just get rid of the guy. And you know, I just don't, I just don't love the bullpen like that. You still got to add it. I just, it's it's not good. No. It's not a good bullpen. Maybe going back, get back David Robertson. Maybe yeah, yeah. that's a possibility. Yeah, let's say um, let's say you're going to get a bunch of guys on one or two year deals where mm-hmm. you might just overpay on the one year deal. As Joel sure I know it's where like you go to somebody like the Red Sox. They like the Red Sox to Justin Turner last year. The Mets go up to him and say, "Hey, we'll give you two million more than whatever price you're being offered here to do that," and then that's your DH. Or you could say that for Jock Peterson, they're gonna play the Giants go off you fifteen million a year, yes. we'll give you seventeen million a year to come do the same thing. So do stuff yeah. like that, get short term packages in here and then like Which which I wanna jock this past off season and Duvall. Yeah. Um who Duvall will also be a free agent. But then again, he's in his mid to late thirties, so getting him for a corner outfield spot could be dicey. Yeah, so I was saying in terms of what that situation is like, do those kinds of moves where you say, Okay, we'll fill our needs, 
like for the for a year not to block the prospects long term and like if they hit great we're in contention for the wild card spot if not we flip these guys the deadline by then our kids are probably closer to being ready i think that's the move here yeah i agree with that and that's what a lot of like mid-market smaller teams do they they do it often with relief pitching um as well because you kind of just see them pay bigger bucks to a relief pitcher because they know they ain't keeping that guy all year long. They know because you, you know how they look at it. Their owners are like, you only have X amount of dollars to spend this offseason, so you clearly can't add a bat. You're not going to be able to add a starting pitcher because those are obviously the positions that cost more money, but something that might not cost as much money on a one-year deal would be a relief pitcher. So they, you know, A's would do this all the time, get a guy like seven, $8 million or whatever, have him come in, have a really good season, borderline all-star, maybe the only all-star on the team in general, flip him at the deadline because teams are desperate. They need bullpen help. Um, you know, that those types of moves. So that's kind of what happened with Tommy Pham this year, um, even though the expectation, yeah. <laughs> the expectation was to compete. But, you know, it still offers that flexibility that you're able to flip the guy um, at the deadline. And, and that's what the Mets did here. Yeah, I think the difference here, obviously, I think is that, the Mets look at this basis at one year, like sort of like we're going to try and shoot for the third wild card. If we get in, great, see what happens. If not, we're going to basically reload for 25 where we're expecting that they're going to go like give Juan Soto a massive contract offer to be like a cornerstone piece for them. Juan Soto is getting $500 million from the Mets. Yeah. And I've said this for years. Well, I, I initially said $500 million, and then Steve Cohen bought the team and then I said Soto $500 million to the Mets. Um, but if, 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 I'm a t- slightly worried about the Yankees. I know everything that I said, but it just, it always bothers me because um, they could do it. Um, even though he's been on the record saying he loves playing at City Field. So uh, take take that from what you can. Um, and again, man, yeah. I mean, over the next couple of years, like there's going to be guys that'll hit free agency that could be, you know, fantastic. And then also at the same time, what it does now too, instead of, you know, is it is it that, out of the question to potentially be in the market for a Dylan Cease this winter. I don't think it's that crazy, right? Who's to say the Mets kind of try to revamp that, you know, farm system. The farm system isn't exactly always for developing guys to get to your major league roster. That's the main idea, right? But also with these major market teams, like we've seen with the Dodgers and a couple other places, um, they use them to flip players to go and get a star. Um, The best trade we've made recently has been the Lindor trade. So, like, is Parada on the table for that? You know, because Alvarez looks like the real deal already. He has over 20 home runs, and we're just starting August, and he's a 21-year-old catcher. Like, good Lord. (laughs) You know? And he missed the first month of the season. So, unless Parada, I know he's got some athletic ability, changed positions. Who's to say he's not on the table in a trade for somebody? You know, it doesn't have to be C's per se, right? Like, just someone that potentially could be on the market. I wouldn't rule that out completely because everyone's just pointing towards free agency. You know, that's not the only place where you could add. Uh, and again, again, that were, I think a lot of people are still overlooking. David Stearns is just a completely different president yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the way he operates and the players that he goes after the way they develop the minor league system, um, the way he would view free agency resources. Right. Um, so we'll, it's going to be interesting to see. We're all, thinking of what they'll do under the words of Billy Epler, but Billy Epler's not going to be here. So how good are Billy Epler's words? 
Yeah, that's for sure. Here, I think in terms of two other things, I think the only three scenarios here where the Mets actually spend big money over the market this winter, which is number one, I, I think one's not really the markets. One is getting P. Alonso on a long term extension. I think that's priority number one for them this offseason to get him locked into the core. Number two would be the Japanese, as you mentioned, Yoshinobu Yamamoto is only 24, and you can give him a long term deal if he'll confidence to be a part of your future plans there. And number three, you also mentioned this as well. I think they're still going to dabble in Otani and see, like, hey, like, if we offer him the blank check because he's such a unique player and helps you in so many ways on and off the field, I think they're not it would be indefensible. They're going to they're going to be having dialogue. There's no way they don't they're because gonna, it's they're gonna it's dialogue. Mal- yeah, they're going to dialogue. But they're not expecting him to come because they're hearing his rumor for a while. His preference to stay out west. Yeah, rumor. Who knows? Thing is, this I think ultimately I might shock you. I think it's going to be. I think the Padres try and flip Soto sign Otani because Soto doesn't want to sign long-term and Otani would be willing to stay in the West, but he wouldn't move down the street to the Dodgers. That's my theory. That's my theory. We've already seen them offer mega money to Aaron judge on top of the guys that they all have. Um, so I definitely could see that, but again, yeah, you have to, you have to have the dialogue with Otani. You have to at least try. Senga's already here. So you get Yamamoto done. Then Otani is there. I'm not saying there he would come here because there's two Japanese stars, but it would probably be one of the most unique pitching staffs in baseball history if you have three Japanese aces. Yeah. If Yamamoto pitches, yeah, very well over here. I'm not going to say triple crown leader again, but Senka's been phenomenal as a rookie. Once he figured out his control stuff, um, and then you add Otani to that, like it's just. Otani would I would also just make Otani the DH and he, with the Mets too. Yeah, you could just be that. like DH and pitching. Yeah. Why why else would you play that guy in the field if he's approaching his 30s? It just wouldn't make sense. But that's that's obviously like if he were to come, he's probably not. Um but yeah, I I agree with that. I wouldn't I I'll say this on the record. I do not want Julio Urias. Do not want anything to do with him. I don't think they're going anywhere near Urias for the record. I you think I think he's staying with the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers keep him, and they try and go for Otani. Um, and they're still going to make a run at Soto as well. That uh, the Dodgers are so goddamn annoying. Um, but yeah, uh, that's kind of how I I see that going. It's it's uh it's it's fascinating for sure. Yeah, I I did, I did look also. P. Alonso is the homer tonight for the Mets. They're up one nothing mm-hmm. over, over the Royals in the third inning there, and I do think one sleeper with Otani. I think here is the Giants because obviously they're trying to get that franchise altering star they were in on judge they offered carlos correa 350 million 365 million dollars yeah. like i would not be yeah. surprised if there's a bidding war to the daughters and giants for otani yeah no I, I i get that one too um you could see that you know like the two greatest baseball players of the 21st century heading to the san francisco giants uh, with barry bonds um if you're not anti-steroid type uh vibe um but yeah i i agree with that as well i thought about the giants recent but i just don't know if they can outbid the dodgers that's it. I don't think I think the Dodgers when the Dodgers like have their price and it only Cohen could. But if Otani doesn't want New York, then it doesn't matter. So I, I, I don't see the Giants outbidding the Dodgers. Not for this guy. Not for this guy. If it were to be another player, sure. But I don't, and, and the Dodgers don't love these long term deals, too. You know, Freeman is one thing. Mookie was another because of his age as well. But you remember they weren't willing to offer Bryce Harper that the years they weren't willing to offer Manny the years, yeah. so it's it's fascinating to see what they do and what the length of an Otani contract would be. Yeah. Um, 
Because I'm not fully convinced this is going to be a decade plus. I um, I got to, like I said with uh, I've said it on off air fourth all the time. I said it's going to start with a five in terms of average salary or or, or total millions. Say it again. I said the contract level five, five at the start of it, either in terms of average oh, salary yeah, yeah. or in terms of the total compensation value. I think he easily beats Trout's as long as he doesn't get hurt the rest of the season. Knock on wood. Um, he's coming off of you know should have been three. Judge was worthy MVP, but I, I don't know. I think they should have given Otani some other award <laughs> for what he did. Um, dude, like yeah, I mean I don't see how it's not five hundred. How's it not? Like it's just it, it, is it incredible, and it's also the riskiest contract in sports history. Yeah, for sure. But let's get let's get to the other team in town real quick. The Yankees here, who as of recording, they're losing five nothing at Tampa Bay right now. They made mm-hmm. two trades that uh, last minute. They got Kenyon Middleton for their bullpen, and they got Spencer Howard. They basically bought him from Texas as far as a pitching flyer here. And have you seen some of Brian Cashman's quotes? Because these are very interesting. Yes. Yeah, I'll go over some of these here. Brian Hoke on on uh, on X. Brian Cash said they went to the deadline as opportunistic buyers and opportunistic sellers, then later cautious buyers. Teams were unwilling to meet the Yankees' prices for players, so Cash said they decided to take a shot at the playoffs. Quote, we're in it to win it. With that roster, I don't think so. No. Um, he's just selling lies to the Yankees fan base, and whoever shows up to games consistently just buys those lies, and that's really just what it is. Um, listen. They added relief pitchers because of what I said at the top of the show was this or the or the segment was that he's trying to replace guys who are likely to leave this offseason. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, because if the Yankees were going for it, they would have traded one of those shortstop prospects that they have in Peraza. Um, they're not going to. He's still not even like up playing consistently. Jason Dominguez is still there. Another guy who's incredibly overrated. Um, it's just insane if you really delve into his numbers and what the hype was. Excuse me, what the hype was around him. Floreal is still in their minor league system. That will tell you everything you need to know. On top of the Andujar and Clint Frazier types, um, Cashman is over the hill. The fact that he got an extension was mind-boggling. I think it was easily the worst executive decision of the offseason besides keeping Billy Epler. <laughs> so um, even though we know what Cohen's like long-term plan is. Hal Steinbrenner, the front office of the New York Yankees, um, and Aaron Boone are horrendous. They really are. For standards of what the New York Yankees are supposed to be, um, and their players, let's not even excuse some of the players here. DJ LeMahieu, horrendous. Anthony Rizzo, oh my goodness, I can't believe he fell off a cliff. I'll be quite honest with you. I was stunned. Yeah, Especially with the – I mean, Giancarlo is a, is a walking injury. He's never going to be better. They still try and force this outfield thing, Mike. I can't even believe it. Um, the guy, the guy's a walking injury. He's a disaster. They're better off paying him elsewhere. Josh Donaldson, one of the dumbest – the dumbest trade of the Brian Cashman era. Everybody knew it during that – initial trade i can't think of a worse one in my opinion um and then and then just like to just keep on like that money is just absurd um and, and again they're just not producing they're very old the set the Rodone thing blew up in their faces there were some concerns of injuries with him he was not pitching for a while he's getting beat up tonight um he's one of the main starters will with his uh with his uh uh, I guess you could say every five day road don't start telling us that he sucks. Um, but I mean, they're a disaster. The yeah. bullpen's not that good. I mean, they kept trying to beat the Houston Astros 
in the postseason without making wholesale changes. Uh, they got pretty close with the team in 2017 that obviously greatly overachieved. Um, and then since then, that Mike, you know, that was their best chance to win a World Series. And they haven't had anything close. The Tampa Bay Rays, who they keep trying to emulate, keep trying to be very intelligent. I think their analytics are applied terribly. Because if you go by analytics, analytics don't say trade for Josh Donaldson. Analytics say don't give DJ LeMahieu a seven, eight year deal. That's what they all say, right? Yeah, I think because in terms of that Donaldson trade, I said at the time that was a Wilpon Mets trade. We're spending money, so we have to spend money somewhere else. And, and and even then, further the Wilpons wouldn't even have made the money. But just in terms of like they're adding a, a has been star to the team to try and like plug in a hole and be like, yeah, this guy will fix it. Garbage, awful, awful, just right. not good. I just, got I got more. I got another some more good ones for you here. Sure, from Brian Cash in here. Another one from Ryan Hoke. I'm sure people out there say tear it down and sell. And other people are out there saying to add something big. It wasn't a big thing to add, to be quite honest. It wasn't going to solve the immediate problems that we had. In terms of the sell stuff, certainly a lot of players that are talented that playoff teams like to get their hands on. But in terms of mm-hmm. trying to pray that way from us, it really wasn't worth it. It was like, I'd rather just keep it and take a shot. Yeah, you're taking a shot, but you still don't have a left fielder about six months after you need one. I mean, it's just, yeah, if the, if the shot is like an underhand free uh, in underhand shot on a basketball court from the opposite free throw line to the other <laughs> side. That's just like, you're just, you're just not, it's just not a competitive team. And I, and I tell this to my Yankee f- friends, fans all the time. And I said, I said this years ago, but nobody wanted to listen to it. I know very, you're my friend, Joe bags, who you met at city field. Um, he, he's a big Yankees fan. He was cashman out years ago before anyone I knew. And I thought like, okay, maybe you're just being a little like, you know, upset. Like this was like kind of not too long after the 2017 team. And then I tried looking at it through his lens. And I think for me, I I follow Yankees baseball. I think Yankees are the Yankees are the most important franchise to this sport. It's just you can't debate it. So you need them to do well for the sport to do well. And I want the sport to do well. They the way their prospects are viewed are it's i never seen an organization be more overrated but the way they have their prospects it's just like it's absolutely mind-numbing and i don't give a shit if aaron judge is god because he is he's incredible great everyone else sucked everyone else sucked they just were horrid horrid when's the last time the yankees really developed a strong pitcher that wasn't named nestor cortez we have to go like we have to go back so are you, far for are that you, are, you okay? giving, are you giving him nestor off of one strong year it, it it, they, they, I'm being, I'm generous. I'm a generous guy sometimes. So that's me being nice. If you even want to give them Nestor, how about that? We'll word it like that. Even if you give them Nestor Cortez, who do they give you? Nobody. Positional player wise, Robinson Cano, Aaron Judge. Who are these? I think Glaber's a pretty good player. He's solid. Consider, rel, relative to all the other second basemen in the major leagues, but that was a trade with the Chicago Cubs. And that's the funny thing too. The way they reinvested in this team and had a better outlook for the future was when they dumped at the trade deadline, when it was Andrew Miller going the other way, when it was Chapman going the other way. That those moves were good moves. Okay. Um and then I, even I, Frazier blew up in their face. But not having the wherewithal and the understanding of your prospects to know who is good, who isn't good. And Judge wasn't even their top rated guy at the time, right? Clint Frazier was getting more praise in the minor league system than Judge. Judge was just like there's this guy who's got a unique build and he's got some pop to him, but he never really hit that many home runs. You know, we all know it. It's documented at Fresno State, minor leagues, 
Dude never used to hit the amount of dingers that he does at the major league level. Just it's an aberration. He's just unique. Um, and with that, it's kind of like, so if we really look at Cashman's tenure or in, in post, like, you know, 2009 World Series, where are the guys? Where are the guys? Because now the fight, the, the, the free agent market has become ever so more competitive than it's ever been. Um, right? Like, think about it. When the Yankees were dominating in the late 90s, the Orioles, you know, had a great payroll at the time, too. Everybody knows that. But the Yankees got everybody. It was everybody knew it. The Yankees would buy, buy, pick, and choose whoever they wanted. And then they had that phenomenal core four, plus Bernie Williams and other guys that they developed. Everybody knows. Everybody knew. That right there is a a once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime thing. Irrepeatable. Okay? Free agency, it's not the same. Yankees just can't have whoever the hell they want. Even though they could have had a couple guys in the past, they never jumped at the opportunity. And now they're not developing... Hall of Famers at the rate that they used to, which is obviously, it's very hard to do. And a lot more teams are smarter from top to bottom than they've ever been. Um, and so with that, that's a recipe for mediocrity. It is. And and people just, Yankees fans are terrified because this is the worst that they've seen in a very long time, certain generations of Yankees fans. This is the worst that they've seen. And they think it's doomsday. Doomsday hasn't arrived yet. Oh, it's, no. It's, oh, no. <laughs> It's still potentially coming, um, depending on what happens. Maybe they still reinvest some of the money. Some of it's coming off the books. They'll have some finances to juggle with. But if you're all, if you're not getting severely overpaid right now by the New York Yankees, probably not going there, right? Like, why Why would you – if you want to win a title, you're probably not going to the Yankees right now. I mean, like, there is something within a core – the Yankees are always very good at winning regular season baseball games to get into the playoffs. But we all know when the Yankees get to the playoffs, no one is – overly terrified of them i like there's not you know there was always that mental edge that the yankees had over everybody that you did not want to play the yankees i mean only the twins probably still have it but no one is scared of the yankees like they used to be and people who don't want to accept that are just naive um and they're arrogant fans um just like some patriots fans that think everyone is scared of mac jones and what's going on over there but that again besides the point um yeah, I mean, Cashman needs to go, but they extended him. So he's not leaving yeah. because the Yankees still have solid attendance. They're still spending money, quote unquote. They kept their massive star in Aaron Judge, the main attraction, and they spend money every now and then. And for some Yankees fans, that's all they give a shit about yeah. to go show up to the ballpark. Yeah, I have I have one more great quote from here. This is the extension of the we're in to win it quote here. It's, oh, it, it says, obviously, we're in to win it. So we stayed the course because of that. Obviously, we got Nestor coming back as well as Eliza soon, and we know that we have better baseball than us, that we haven't shown that and proven that. We've got two more mm-hmm. months to show that now. Well, newsflash, they are losing still. They're 5 nothing in the seventh inning at recording here. They face the Astros weekend for four games. Like they might not win they might not win more than two games the whole week. And then they're gonna be at five hundred heading out, like heading out for a road trip. They're just He's just it's it's awful PR. It's just only gonna get worse. They're, I think more and more fans are just, they're fed up. I think this is going into next season, depending on how the offseason is. Um, they're going to be one of two things that are going to happen. They're not going to do much, and they're probably going to stand pat relatively close to what this roster is. And fans are going to freak out, and and a lot less will show up to opening day. Or or the Yankees finally do something in which they say, all right, enough, show hey, 600 million. 
Highly doubt it. Highly doubt it. But that's what I'm saying is like, that's what they have to do to win the fans back. They're not, they're not trading for Juan Soto. Like Juan Soto, the Yankees do not have anything to give to Juan. They have to give the farm for Juan Soto. Yeah. Like do do like do fans have to come to grips with that? That wasn't going to if they really thought Juan Soto would have been a relatively fair asking price. Even last, they should have done it last trade deadline. They're idiots for not. They're holding on to these mediocre prospects that are probably not going to amount to anything. The fact that they wouldn't do it is just utterly disgraceful. Um, especially when Soto gives you a couple of years of of rookie contract service time where you could add around him. Just, oh my god, just fucking pathetic to be honest with you and i know that sounds so weird coming from a mets fan just like the 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 anger in my voice right it's just it's pathetic it's just it's awful it's a fireable offense the way they've been operating and they just don't do it um and it's really funny to always see george steinbrenner videos pop up and about how mad he used to get when the yankees would lose and how he would break tvs and fire guys on a whim and and all that. And firing guys on a whim is kind of what got him into some trouble at a point. You know, it creates uh, instability within a franchise. But, brother, How's at a certain point, you're just not getting it done. You got to go. Yeah. I mean, how's the complete opposite? Or how, like, patient to a fault? Where, I mean, he had the infamous line earlier this year. He said, Yankee fans, like, he doesn't understand why they're mad about the team right now. And then, honestly, you I mean, look at their attendance last night. They had 43,000 people in the, in the building last night. And honestly, I've said it for a long time. Like, I think Hal Simer is content putting together a team that can make the playoffs as long as he's getting 40000 in the building every night and selling his chicken buckets for, like, $25 a pop. And, like, this is, this is a business to him. It's not, like, as much a passion project as, as it was for George. And you want and Tiki Barman is pulling WFA the other day. He's right. It's like, Yankee fans haven't realized this yet, that this is not the George Steinbrenner, I have to win at all costs. This is, like, Hal Steinbrenner, I'm responsible for my shareholders. I have to make, maintain a profit. Yeah. It's like, which which was a quote, which was what I was literally just going to say. Good thing you mentioned shareholders. That was literally a quote this offseason. Yeah. I had people to answer to. That shows you everything that you need to know about the New York Yankees. Did George Steinbrenner ever have to answer to anybody? No. He, he was what, the boss for a reason. They called him that for a reason. Hal is anything about that. And, you know. That's why the Yankees are where they are, where they are, and they're not going to be sold. So, you know, the Yankees fans could like write that off if they if they ever think that would be a thing. So, forget about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they look at this roster the way it is here. Like, it's set up perfectly that they're going to get in and try. They're going to try and get in and say, okay, you know, like if we win, great. If we, if we oh well, the playoffs are a crap. You look what happened to the Dodgers last year, but they're not hmm. that good, and they're not going to make it this year. I hate to break it to Yankee fans, they're not. Um, there's a good chance that they don't, um, just, you know, I just like find like the quotes from Cashman just very funny when he just kind of acts like, and then a lot of this stuff happens in soccer as well with the transfer market in the middle of the season, there's a January transfer window. This is just using it as an example. This used to happen all the time when, when AC Milan, um, would just have really bad teams and they wouldn't reinvest come the January market and there were players injured and they would, and you know, they were come back in like February or something. And the directors would always say, Oh yeah, but we have Mario Balotelli coming back. So he's basically like a new signing, just tossing Mario's name out there. Nobody wants to hear that shit. That's not a new signing. We knew he was here on the roster. We know he was going to contribute. Nesta Cortez and Jonathan Loizaga are not like new signings. They're just 
guys who are here that weren't here and were just angling it in an optimistic perspective to make people feel better about the situation. When in reality, we are not going to do shit. And that's what it is. Nestor and Loisega, good pieces, but Yankees fans and people are operating under the assumption that they would be there anyways. And that's what Cash either gets and doesn't give a shit about or that he doesn't get. And that's the problem, is that also that disconnect between the front office and the fans. Yeah, this is something I, this is, again, difference between the Mets and the Yankees. The Mets realize we have a problem. And they took a proactive step to fix the problem. The amount of talent they brought in here and over the span of the past week would have taken years if you went the traditional just, like, tank and rebuild mode here. So they've accelerated their process of restarting the forces. The Yankees just running in place, and they're slowly going to degrade into mediocrity at the rate they're going. I mean, yeah, if it isn't already. And you know what the funny thing is? It's like, they're such a great organization. Like, it's like we say everything that we've been saying, but they're still such a great organization that even in their worst seasons, they're still hovering around 500 and like playing good baseball to an extent. They're playing bad baseball, but like their their record kind of says otherwise, right? Because, you know, the, the, the rule of like, if you're around 500 or over 500, you're not a bad team. But like when we see everything day to day and all that, not um regardless of injuries injuries happen but we've known the yankees have been riddled with injuries for years so that's not even anything new um so to that it's just they are mediocre now especially for yankees standards especially for yankee standards there's just i think when teams like the atlanta braves do what they did even though they had a fantastic roster the entire time when teams go on runs or even the nationals they had a fantastic roster the entire time <laughs> right like when they go on these runs they think like they could also do that but like what are the yankees exceptionally great at this roster they have two exceptionally great players and that's it yeah the mets in 2015 what do they have an exceptional pitching staff good back end of the bullpen guys that would occasionally step up in the lineup but they had something great the Royals had stuff great. The Giants had stuff great. The Dodgers, year in, year out. The roster was phenomenal. Just all these teams had stuff that was great. The Astros. The Yankees had what? They didn't. They didn't. They don't even have a great manager. Boone is just, the fact that Boone just keeps on getting these, because we know, this is what I've also said too, the Yankees don't have accountability. Um, and I said this to my friend today. If the Yankees had accountability, accountability is firing everyone who has not done their job well enough over the past few seasons. But instead, the Yankees have scapegoats. And the scapegoat is going to be Aaron Boone. Eventually, eventually, someone has to get fired. There's, there's just like they missed the playoffs. It's probably Boone gone. There's no doubt. Um, uh, although Buscoli said they might not make significant changes, even if they miss the playoffs. So the Yankee fans. Well, well and, and that was going to be my next point. So thank you for bringing that up. It's like, and if they don't, why, why, as Yankees fans, if they take pride in winning so much, why would they show up to opening day? Why would they show up to games regularly? Why do, Why would they do that? First of all, everything is overpriced there. The tickets are insane. The product is garbage. Why are you giving them your money? Stop it. Stop it. They don't need your money. They don't need it. They have so much fucking money. They have so much money. Stop wasting your hard-earned dollars at a place that, one, is not cheap, Two doesn't give you happiness anymore. Just I stop. Remember, I stopped going to City Field and yeah, Mets games. Yeah, I said I'm yeah. not going until the team is yeah, sold. You, you boycotted the Volpons. 
it, it worked. Um, well, they did need the money, by the way, unlike these these owners. But yeah, I think man, the thing I, with the Yankee fans also sort of a tradition where it's sort of like, hey, you know, like like this is the thing to do. Everybody goes to Yankee games, and the Yankees always win. And then people are sort of like, oh wait, this is not the same Yankee team. Like this is like. We have a couple of great players, but it's such an it thing to do. It's hard to deprogram like casual baseball fans from that. And they're going to keep making money off of that as a result. Yeah. Uh, just welcome to modern day sports. But, you know, that's ultimately what the New York Yankees have to have succumbed to. Um, I think that World Series title was phenomenal for them. But a part of the Yankees died that day um, and what they did moving forward in the following years. And Sometimes I've seen I've seen it. I root for a great soccer team, and and they were you know, Smallham was down in the gutter for a decade. They suck. They're like one of the most prestigious sports franchises clubs in in, in the entire world. Yeah. A large portion of the fan base just could not accept what it was, and that was the glory days are over. It, that's it. The opening line of The Sopranos, Mike. I don't know how often you've seen it or if you've seen it. Do you know what Tony's opening line is or no? Uh, no, I do not remember offhand. Okay, so, well, I love it because it's a great quote because it's really symbolic of America in general and just, you know, it applies to the Yankees fans here. But he was talking about the mafia. <laughs> but either way, his point was, I felt like I got in at the wrong time, like the party was over. And all the good days have stopped. Was it to paraphrase? It wasn't that word for word. I could pull it up word for word. But the point was this it's like the core four ain't here. They're not dominating in free agency. They don't, they're not littered with Hall of Famers up and down the lineup. And I think just for a lot of fans, and I know they don't want to hear Mets fans say this because they're insecure about themselves, but that's their own problem. But here's the thing they're just not that same franchise they used to be, and they just need to accept that. And if they and if they do. And if they pressure the organization to, I'm not saying like every fan can do that, but I'm what I'm saying is like have standards for yourself because I think ultimately Yankees fans, some Yankees fans don't have those standards. And I think if they had standards, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now, which is showing up to the ballpark. And, you know, th there's a difference between rooting for your team on television, but also showing up to that ballpark and giving that, that franchise the support they don't deserve it they don't deserve it they, they're running they're ran terribly for what they're supposed to be ran like I, I think they're a disaster in that sense for the yankees standards they're a disaster in terms of major league baseball no because because we've seen that but that's what the yankees are man all right i think it's a good place to leave martillo thanks for all the time really yeah. appreciate it. people want to follow you on social media how can they do that yeah i guess you got to follow me on x now um because mike is just you know, it's got those good journalistic qualities. I would have just kept calling it Twitter, but um, at Martino Puccio on there, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. I'm almost at 3,000. Let's see if I go for a refresh really quick. Ooh, eight subscribers away from 3,000 on YouTube. So if any of you are interested in soccer or any other types of videos, time to time I do other sports stuff, but Martino Puccio on there, Instagram as well. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. And then whenever I make appearances on here. Sounds good, Martillo. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. No problem, Mike. The Two Minute Drill. All right, Two Minute Drill time. We got to talk about the Sean Payton controversy. Since the Jets cannot escape headlines this season, this last was not their fault. Interview at Broncos camp earlier this, this summer, UA coach Sean Payton decided to throw basically everyone under the bus for how they failed last season. 
Peyton basically concluded that it was not Russell Wilson's fault for the fact that the Broncos were terrible. He said that Nathaniel Hackett is one of the worst coaches he's ever seen. It basically led to a huge mess to clean up. He also decided to add on his own. Like he felt like the Jets were overrated because they just, quote-unquote, won the offseason and went out of their way to seek attention, breaking the flame out the same way those early 2000s Washington teams did. Peyton did attempt to walk the comments back a few weeks later, a few days later, since he was still in his Fox analyst mode instead of head coaching mode. But he did poke the bear as the Jets have rallied around Nathaniel Hackett. Robert Sala, the head coach at the high road, knows anything that Peyton was so obsessed with the Jets they don't play until week five. Aaron Rodgers is more blunt in the matter. He tells Sean Payton to keep Hackett's name out of his mouth from now on in an interview with uh, Peter Schrager from NFL Network. Also, the matter here, the, pack, the comments by Sean Payton were completely ridiculous. They made no sense. The Broncos are bad last season. No one's going to deny that Hackett had a responsibility in it. But there were a lot of underperforming batters on that team. Had a lot by Mr. Wilson, who was trying to do his own coaching apart from the head coach. Everything's a lot messy. Throwing the old head coach on the bus is very lame. It's not something you see done very well professionally because coaching is returned. You, they know that it's not easy to coach in the league. And for a coach to call another coach at that, very lame. It sets up Sean Payton for a lot of blame here because the Broncos can't turn around this year. It's not Nathaniel Hackett's fault anymore. Now it's Sean Payton's fault. In terms of the Jets seeking out attention here, they did not seek out hard knocks, like what Payton had claimed. They were forced to by the league because they made themselves interesting landing Rodgers. Who's clearly boring this team could push talent on core up the top. I mean, HBO has said in their promos that they are the league's most compelling team. They are the reason why they got picked for Hard Knocks was the Rodgers trade. Sean Payton poked the bear. He brought the Jets together early on. That game in Denver is more thing by the day, and week five cannot come fast enough, so I can't wait for that game. With that, I want to thank uh, my guest, Martino Puccio, for the, this week for coming on here, spending almost an hour breaking down the deadline in the New York perspective. A lot of fun stuff there. Working stuff for this podcast, including my breakdown of the Subway Series. And boy, it feels like a long time has passed since that Subway Series finished. Check out the blog over justonthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. Our Rebels episode of Ahsoka 101 is out this week. And for those of you who have not watched Rebels, it's very helpful for you. I'll check that out in the Sky Guys feed. We have the live action Ahsoka 101 coming this week. You want to check those out? Same podcast platforms right at the top of the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at mphilips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S. 3-3-1. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to get to the giant stuff we talked about earlier, plus a little HBO week. We're going to recap the year of Hard Knocks and the year of winning time. So, fun week ahead here. Until then, have a better week than Yankees fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.